Welcome back to part two of this incredible episode with the brilliant Dr. Gina Poe, director of UCLA's Sleep and Memory Lab. We've been talking about much more than just getting some sleep. And in this part, we continue the conversation diving deep into the realm of optimizing your sleep and how that actually unleashes your brain's superpowers. Crack the code with us as we explore PTSD, lucid dreaming, and how to get the most from your time in the bedroom. By the way, Impact Theory, if you didn't know, is now available on Amazon Music. So head over to Amazon Music to hear more Impact Theory episodes just like this one, the conversations that really matter. Don't wait. Subscribe to Impact Theory now on Apple Music and be legendary. I'm Tom Bilyeu and welcome to Impact Theory. Um, talk to me about PTSD and the locus cerealis. Yeah, yeah, blue that? spot, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I know when things go wrong with that spot, you can have all kinds of problems, but I yeah. also know that estrogen is protective against it. Mm-hmm. But I also know that women suffer from uh, stress and anxiety more than men. So yeah. start us, explain the blue spot, mm-hmm. uh, and then help us understand yeah. estrogen's role in all of this. Yeah, so the blue spot is... Um, in our brainstem, and it is one of the first relay places for all incoming sensory and stimulation. So it'll wake us up. It'll switch our attention from this conversation to if somebody's listening or watching this and something goes on in their house, they're going to switch their attention away from what we're talking mm. about to whatever it is. And that's really good. And it's adaptive because, you know, we need to be able otherwise to switch our attention. Trouble. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise we're in trouble. Um, that's the locus surrealis. It helps us to be alert and aroused and, and reorienting as we need to. It also, as it's tonically firing, helping us to learn from whatever we are engaged in. So um, this conversation, hopefully both of our locus surrealis is, is going and we're able to follow the conversation really well. Um, but when it switches to a phasic, you know, sharp, like when some, that's when we need to switch our attention. But right mm-hmm. now it's tonically happening. Um, so, so it's responsive to stressors. And what it does is it helps us to learn quickly from that stressor because what it provides to the brain, all over the brain is norepinephrine, which helps us to learn quickly and strengthen synapses. Um, it's only when it's not present that we can actually weaken those synapses after we've consolidated what we've learned and changed our schema. Once, once that's done, you can erase those novel memories from the novelty encoding structures in our proximal dendritic tree. And um, so we really need norepinephrine to be absent in order to be able to do that synaptic weakening. It can't happen when norepinephrine is present, when hmm. that blue spot is firing. So the only time when the blue spot, spot stops firing is during rapid eye movement sleep. But that's something that we've known for, you know, since the 80s maybe. And... um but we've only ever studied it in males. So we know that that's kind of dogma. The locus really stops firing in REM sleep. That Therefore, REM sleep is able to allow us to reformulate our schema and erase those things that aren't necessary. And we can strip the emotional intensity off of a memory. That's right. So, for example, if we're learning something that's emotionally um, really relevant to us and and those emotions help us to learn those things, um, our locus realis is firing, helping us to learn that emotional memory. It's during sleep that we can consolidate those, all the facts to our, the rest of our brain, to those distal dendrites. Mm. And then during REM sleep, when we can erase the, 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 the novelty of it, the, 
salience of it so that it's not something that just happened to us that day. Mm. It's something that we've consolidated and now we can erase from the novelty encoding circuitry so we can encode something new. But it's with the lack of locus surrealis activity, the lack of activity in the blue spot in REM sleep that we can do that. And just recently, my lab has started to record from the locus surrealis in females and we find across the estrus cycle the locus surrealis doesn't completely stop firing during REM sleep in some phases of the cycle, mm. in the low hormonal phases of the cycle, which would really not allow you to refresh your brain quite as well as you would otherwise. And um, I, I don't know what the physiological importance of that is, but uh, given that that's the case, that also might be why women are two to four times more susceptible to post-traumatic stress disorder because post-traumatic stress disorder is a disorder not of forgetting. I mean, that's too overly simplistic. It's a disorder of not being able to relegate the past to the past. It's where these emotional traumatic memories stay in the present as though they just happened that same day. And um, yes, we're able to consolidate it, but then we're not able to do the second step which is to erase it from this novelty encoding circuitry to allow us to learn new things after that. Instead, it hangs on to that traumatic memory and all the aspects of it, the emotionality and the way it makes our heart beat fast and um, our skin sweat and all of that, as though it just happened that same day. Mm. Um, so if your locus realis is not stopping firing during REM sleep at certain phases of our hormonal cycle, then... REM sleep can't do what it's supposed to do, which is to refresh that novelty encoding circuit. That's our hypothesis, and that's Dude, what we're we'll doing. REM is now. a trip. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay, so uh, in PTSD, my stress levels remain elevated. So I'm doing the this is an important, this is important mm -hmm. thing in sleep. Yeah. But I actually can't get to the this isn't important because my stress levels are still so high, which mm -hmm. is telling my body, no, 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 this remains salient. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a generalized salience. Like, do you end up overwhelming your short term memory? Like if you're yeah. constantly just saying like, yeah, everything's important, everything's important. Yeah. You can't strip anything away. Yeah. Does that have long term? Like, has anybody looked at PTSD and uh, victims and how they have trouble learning new things? Yeah. So one of the things you can't learn, for example, is the context of safety, you know, Woof. you know, so yeah, that's, that's not good. Um, and in animals, we, they, they don't learn any kind of reversal based learning, whatever. What I mean by reversal learning is that was then, this is now, mm. now my home is moved. Now the place where my food is used to be is moved. All of that is reversal learning. Um, we call it reversal just because it's, it's not necessarily unlearning because you might still remember where your food used to be. Um, but it's, Reweighting, I guess, of recontextualizing. Our, an recontextualizing. example I've heard you use a lot, which makes a lot of sense, yeah. especially for people our age, yeah. is that uh, you hear the sound of a helicopter, you're in war, mm -hmm. uh, that's bad sound, danger, danger. Mm -hmm. But when you go back home, it could just be a news helicopter. Yeah. And so you have to recontextualize the same sound. Yes. And not have and the same panic that. response, yeah. which is perfectly adaptive in the theater of war. Mm. But at home, you don't want to be diving under the table every time a helicopter comes by. Okay, so mm -hmm. that makes the prediction mm -hmm. that anything that quiets that down mm -hmm. should allow me to lessen, hopefully mm -hmm. eradicate uh, PTSD. So beta blockers is something I've heard you talk yeah. about. Um, ha have we looked at how effective those are at 
There have been, as far as I know, eight clinical studies, and I think there's another one going on right now. What do beta blockers do? So beta blockers block the receptors of noradrenaline, which is the the neurotransmitter produced by the locus ceruleus, that blue spot, which helps us to learn. Mm. But um, whenever those beta receptors are occupied by norepinephrine, um, that only allows us to formulate new memories and strengthen new memories and doesn't allow us to weaken um, others. So so beta blockers block that receptor so noradrenaline can't uh, occupy it and then make the neuron think that there's no norepinephrine here. You know, there's nothing important. There's nothing stressful. Mm-hmm. We don't need to learn anything new. Um, and I think the reason why many of those clinical trials failed is because they didn't quite understand that you do need be- the beta adrenergic receptor occupied by norepinephrine when you are learning something new, like the context of safety. Mm. But it's during sleep that you need the beta uh, block the beta receptors to be not occupied by right. norepinephrine anymore, so that you can do the loosening that's required for mm. reassociating and recontextualizing something. So that's very interesting. So you need to give them at the right time, mm. <laughs> I think, and enough. You also other clinical trials I think failed because they gave too low of a dose and it didn't, uh, you know, didn't occupy enough or didn't block enough of the beta receptors in the brain. And have you looked at the research on psychedelics and trauma therapy? <sighs> I have. It's really fascinating. And the thing about psychedelics, many of them actually activate the serotonergic system. And we don't even know which specific receptors. Serotonin is another. Noradrenaline is one neurotransmitter system. Serotonin is is a different one that is also on whenever we're learning. Um, so the serotonergic system comes from in, all over the brain. It comes over from the dorsal raphe nucleus in the brainstem. And that's another nucleus that shuts off during REM sleep. So the noradrenergic system and the serotonergic system are normally off during REM sleep. So psychedelics don't reproduce REM sleep, um, because they're agonists of serotonin. However, they might, there are at least 15, maybe 21 different receptors for serotonin, and each of them do a different thing and a different neuronal Mm. subtype in a different compartment of the neuron. And so in in my uh, model of the way things work, the serotonergic receptors out there at the distal dendrites where our our cortex is talking to each other, um, those are the ones that actually help dampen the effect of that on our response to the world outside. So what they do when you occupy the serotonergic receptors is they shunt out information coming in from the familiarity encoding cortical cortical schema and um, don't allow that to dominate us anymore. And instead um, it weights everything to, toward what's going on right now, here and now. So um, again, there's lots of, lots of different receptors, but for that one, in any case, that's really important, I think, to be absent in REM sleep because that's when you want to be building those schema about the outside world. Um, if you don't have enough serotonin in your system, then you're, in, then you, um, perhaps are always, you know, too attuned to what's going on, uh, out there in the distal dendrites and not enough attuned to what's coming in from the outside and learning new things. Um, depression, uh, antidepressants are serotonergic agonists. It may help us to 
be more attuned to the world around us that as we're awake and, and walking around it. Um, but I would also suggest that maybe antidepressants should be stopped when we want to go to sleep because we need serotonin to be off in order to rebalance our system at night. Mm. So, um, do yeah. SSRIs disrupt sleep? They do. They really do. Um, they actually block REM sleep um, mm. pretty effectively, depending uh, on when you take it and how much you take it. But also, those studies haven't been done in people who are trying to learn something new. So we don't know if it's 100% blocking REM sleep when someone is studying for an exam, for mm. example. Maybe that homeostatic need for sleep overcomes the SSRI's blockage of REM sleep and you get beautiful REM just when you need it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, when you get people on different medications, mm -hmm. the amount, most people are going to be taking it chronically. Mm -hmm. It's so this is a reason that I'm very hesitant to take supplements. Mm -hmm. When you start isolating things, yeah. the number of knock on effects that you can have is, is pretty crazy. But I've heard you talk about the importance of if you've just suffered something traumatic, you need to understand this, um, what you can do to block the encoding of that traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, Hey, if you can talk yourself down mm -hmm. and get into a calm place mm -hmm. before you go to bed, great. If you can't, even getting drunk might be better mm -hmm. than just going to sleep. Yeah. Why would that be true? Yeah. Uh, we do want to learn from our traumatic experiences, right? We don't want to not learn what's dangerous out there, for example. But we don't want to hang on to that novelty of that memory for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. We want to put it where it goes and then leave it, right? And access it when we need it the next time. But other than that, it's lying dormant and and um, sitting there ready when you need it. You don't want it to be there, present and part of your life every single day and influencing every decision you make. Is that first night's sleep an important window for yeah. avoiding that? Yeah, the, f the first couple of nights sleep, it takes about a week to consolidate a memory and put Whoa. it away. Yeah, yeah. it. Um, but that first couple of nights is when you actually um, are hanging on to the memory until it's consolidated. You do, you don't want to erase it until it's really fully consolidated, fully entrenched in everything that you know and, and in the way that it should be entrenched. And then after that, once it's consolidated, you want sleep to be able to, um, to reverse, um, the weight of that salience. Mm. So, um, so what happens in the first couple of nights, um, when you've learned something really mind-blowingly new is you, um, are consolidating it and, and you hang on to it until that whole process is done. And then you start erasing it from that novelty encoding circuitry. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, but in order to consolidate it and put it where it needs to go, you need to rearrange the schema that are already there, right? So if you want, for example, to remember the specifics, specific context of something that's scary and fearful, instead of just generalizing it, if you want to learn the specific context, you want to put those memories where they go. And that involves some weakening of some of the memories in that schema already in order to put the pieces of information where they mm. go. And you also need your novelty encoding proximal dendrites to be ready for that new, those new pieces of information and all the 
refinements of them. If that is already saturated with something, then you can't learn anything but the simple relation in in out relationship. You know, sound scary run mm. right. That's the that's the simple ones. So if you want to learn. All of the pieces of the information, the context in which something scary happened, you need your brain to be refreshed by the sleep the night before, and able to encode all the pieces of information, and then able to write it out to the long-term memory structure, and then able to refresh that novelty encoding circuitry again. So the next day, you can refine that with even more information, more context. As you think about the trauma that happened, you can even contextualize it more. You can talk it through with your friends and family. They can help you realize that was then. This is now.、Um, this is why this happened. You'll be able to learn these new things and these new pieces of context because your sleep that first night was a healthy sleep.、Mm. So that's why、um, you really need that sleep to be norepinephrine free because you can both write the new pieces of information into the、um, context through that those sleep spindles and erase that novelty encoding context、um, from from from. The novelty encoding structures, so that you can again recontextualize and relearn the next day,、um, and then after a few days of that, a few nights of that, you'll have done the job of of、um, writing out all those pieces of information. Your memory will be good, your schema will be good, and you can just completely erase that from your novelty encoding structure, so that you can turn to your attention to something new. So when I when you said、uh, it's better to even get drunk or stay up all night,、um, if your sleep doesn't lack that norepinephrine and serotonin, then that first night, then instead of doing, you might be able to consolidate it, but you're gonna you're gonna saturate your system with that that traumatic memory and create a positive feedback loop、mm. that just continues to reentrench it as though it happened the same day every day. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. So.、Um, Everything that you went through、mm-hmm. assumes everything is working well. So get your sleep.、Yeah. Uh, make sure that you don't have dysregulated stress response、mm-hmm. just in general.、Mm-hmm. But as somebody who I went through a period in my life where my anxiety was off the charts.、Mm-hmm. Now it ended up being、uh, I'll call it seventy percent diet,、mm-hmm. and so I no longer have generalized anxiety disorder. Right.、Um, but I know what it feels like to have a very disproportionate. Response to、mm-hmm. something and just be like, I don't understand、yeah. what is going on. So,、um, yeah. if somebody were in a car accident, let's say very traumatic moment,、yeah. um, I know that historically people thought, well, you need to talk to somebody about、mm-hmm. it. Then the studies show that's actually terrible,、mm-hmm. and you're just reinforcing it. Right.、Um, so, one, I'd love to hear what we know about how talk therapy over a traumatic event can actually just reinforce it. Right. And then. If we had somebody that has a disproportionate response and and their amplitude of stress does not match what happened,、yeah. what kind of protocol? If we had an infinite pharmacy,、yeah. or maybe that isn't、right. the right answer, but、yeah. we have access to anything, like they're going to perfect compliance.、Yeah. Uh, if we need drugs, we have、yeah. drugs. Like, what would that protocol look like? Yeah. So unless that talk therapy is teaching you something about how to contextualize that. It's actually really good to speak to a loved one after a traumatic event、um, if they're helping you. If、de-stress. they're helping you de-stress and contextualize, so one of the things that shuts the locus surrealis off fastest、uh, after a traumatic event is being able to learn from it. So, you know, if you had a car accident 
And someone can say, well, yeah, but you ran, you ran the red light. Mm. And you say, oh, you're right. I was texting. I ran the red light. I, next time, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to text while mm. driving. And you've learned. It was a drunk driver, and I was just sitting at the red light. If you're just sitting at the red light and there's a drunk driver, yeah. there's not much you can learn from it. So um, now, stress level through the roof. Yeah. Life's unpredictable. Right. Oh my God, I'm yeah. never going to leave my house yeah, again. Your locus surrealis will not stop firing if there's nothing to be learned from it. it. It is still searching for what can I learn from that? What can I learn from that? So the way to. Um, the way that I, you know, de-stress after such a random haphazard event is to take what I have. A, I have a worldview where I believe that everything ultimately will work out for the best. Even if it, right now it looks terrible, mm. it will work out for the best. And that helps me to de-stress because I know, oh, you know, it's horrible now. But with a long view, you know, I'm going to, you know, this is all these troubles are going to be over. That's very interesting. And, and so that can help me calm down. Um, and, and talking to my mother always helped me with that because she's had, she had the wisdom of the years, right? Of like, you're going to get better from you're gonna this. You're going to get better. There's you're going to survive. Positive. It's going to, you know, you, you may be really in the future, you're going to be a transportation minister and you're going to be able to make lights safer or reduce the amount of drunk driving because you're going to help, you know, with psychiatry, um, you know. So that is really profound. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I am a growth mindset junkie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've never understood that there was even like an actual brain mechanism happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But like you, you and I have, I think, very different worldviews, but mm-hmm. they probably serve the same function. Mm-hmm. I literally just took a note prayer because I know mm-hmm. that you pray and yeah. you've often referred to that as being something that you use to lower your yeah. stress. That's really interesting mm-hmm. when I think about how something like prayer could serve such a profound function yeah. to last from, you know, for thousands yeah. of years, probably yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, that's very in interesting. giving you a universal worldview that takes you out of the immediacy of this moment. And, and tells you something good will come from this. Yeah. yeah. The, I'm going to learn something, I'm going to get something, mm-hmm. feels like a really interesting trigger. What I find so fascinating about it, though, it's just the thought. But that thought, somehow that context yeah. registers yeah. at a very deep limbic level. That's right. It does. It does. Our locus realis is connected it gets all kinds of inputs from our prefrontal cortex, from mm. our hippocampus, from our learning and memory systems, from our emotional systems. And it feeds back onto our locus realis and says, okay, it's okay now. And our locus realis says, okay, it's all right. I'll stop barking. <laughs> you know, I'll stop alerting you. It's, it's mm. going to be all right. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I love understanding the mechanisms mm-hmm. to things mm-hmm. when they're, I guess is a known one. Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting. So you have a worldview. Mm-hmm. You just had this car accident, even though it was a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, your worldview kicks in. You mm-hmm. feel like it's going to work out for mm-hmm. the better. Um, what else would we throw in our protocol? Right. Um, so if that's not enough, because <laughs> that really might be enough. It, oh yeah. Whatever yeah. you you just need to quiet the mm-hmm. the locus. Right. 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 Got it. Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you have forgotten to go back to your worldview or pray, or you don't have people around you to mm. remind you um, that, you know, it's going to work out. Uh, then, yeah. Well, again, like we were just saying, it's, it's something inside your own brain that you can, that you can 
teach yourself. So you can calm yourself down. Your mind can keep you well. Um, your mind can keep you well. well that's a, the <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's your mind a, can also make you sick. Yes, exactly. The terrifying flip side of right, that. Right. Yeah, I didn't make up that catchphrase. That was the title of a TV show, or not TV. It was an NPR show and when i was a child my wow. mother used to listen to it all the time i love it yeah yeah <laughs> your mind can keep you well yeah. i like that yeah um but if all those cat these things fail then i would you know stay up if you're if you have insomnia and because you can't figure this out and you are stressed be awake mm. be awake until you can find it, your way out of it um, and so for some people, maybe it's doing something super relaxing to get their mind off of it. Like um, you were listening to podcast, a story, um, get your mind off of this immediate thing. Listen to a nice story, you know, watch a nice movie, read a nice book um, or listen to, you know, get, get a storyteller to tell you a good story, a bedtime mm -hmm. story that takes your mind off of this, this horrible thing that just happened. Allow your whole system to relax and then have a very good night's sleep. Most sleep is adaptive. Most people don't get PTSD from a traumatic event. And that's because our sleep is most of the time doing what it's supposed to do. But if you are, you know, for some reason you sleep deprived from the night before and you're super sleepy, even though you, you know, you're wired, you can go to sleep. That's not good. Don't go to sleep wired. That's, mm. I guess that's the... The uh, thing I'm trying to say, uh, don't go to sleep wired. Do something to calm yourself down so that your locus realis can quiet and do what it's supposed to do during sleep. Do you meditate? I have tried. For me, it's prayer. But I was going to say prayer is yeah, so meditative. It is. It's meditative. meditative it, so this may be too private. By great. all means, no, say nothing. But um, how do you pray? Yeah. Are you asking for something for yourself, for others, for protection, yeah. love? Yeah, I mean, just knowing that there is an all-powerful being who cares about me really helps. And then secondly, um, prayer is also thanking, being thankful. So meditating, I guess, on all the things you're thankful for and you're mm. grateful for. So prayer reminds me of all the good in my life and the good in the people around me. Um, and then also praying for people and for things helps me to not feel as helpless. I don't feel helpless because I'm doing something, right? That's I'm asking God, to who's all-powerful, to intervene and to change things. And that... Mm. That very much helps me feel like I've done something. It helps, you know, some people, they like to write lists. That also helps um, me, but that's a way to put the list in God's hands. <laughs> it's interesting. So I'm not religious, but mm. I have been in situations before where something feels so out of my control. Mm. I am desperate to appeal yeah. to a higher power. Yeah. I get it. Go like, for it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really <laughs> even if you don't believe it, do it. <laughs> yeah, it it makes you feel like oh, mm -hmm. I still have a thing I can do. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, has anybody looked at prayer and loneliness? So I used to be religious, and I mm -hmm. remember that feeling of yeah. like I'm talking to somebody who's listening. Yeah. and they're powerful and loving. Yeah, it's a very nice feeling. Yeah, it is. I think the moment in my life, there was a moment in my life when I was the loneliest ever and I was crying and I just felt completely spun out of control. Mm. And I heard this voice in my head that just said, 
why are you crying? I'm with you. And it kind of arrested my tears. I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the only time I've ever heard God. Um, but, you know, but it was like, why? I'm, I'm here with you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm never alone. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, that's one of those things, man. There, so I have a thought that runs through my head mm -hmm. frequently, and mm -hmm. longtime listeners of the show will have heard me say it many times, but there is a God-shaped hole in all of us. Mm -hmm. You need to fill it with something. Mm -hmm. So, all right, we're, I'm really starting to formulate a very useful understanding of right. how I can leverage sleep mm -hmm. to, um, whether it's strip the emotional resonance off of something, mm -hmm. whether it's um, free up my short-term memory so I can learn new things, mm -hmm. the consolidation, mm -hmm. uh, the removing of the narrative from the dots and snapping back to just dots mm -hmm. so I can update my schema, that's really gonna stick with me. Um, <laughs> I love the way you said that, that's really nice. Thank you. It's gonna stick with me too. <laughs> nice, may, may it be useful. Yeah. Um, how do I supercharge learning? So I'm, I am a big believer mm -hmm. <laughs> that we can all 100X our abilities, yeah. but it doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking for an edge mm -hmm. on how I can learn something better. Yeah. Like, is it naps? Is mm -hmm. it yeah. just meditating before I go to bed? Like, yeah. how do we really make sure we remember what we learn? Yeah. That's a good question. And we don't really know how we tag the things that we want to remember and how we tag the things that we want to forget. Mm. Um, there's a lot of automaticity to it that must be pretty good. I think your brain is probably already optimized to learn great. <laughs> I really hope that's not true. If this is optimized, we are all in trouble. I just throw a lot of time at it. That's that's mm. my only mm. solution, yeah. which I really want to shorten that time. <laughs> right. Um you guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. 
Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Yeah, I mean, so here's, here's one shortcut, um, but I don't think it's you good in the long shortcut. run. It's not good in the long run, Damn though. It. Yeah, it's, it's probably good for cramming in one piece of information, but. Okay, um, we'll take it. We'll take it. Right, right. Um, one study done in the 90s, I believe it was that they, while the person was learning something kind of mind blowing, they had a, clock ticking in the background. It was a very loud clock. And then when they were in REM sleep, the experimenter made that clock go back on again. Hmm. And so it did reactivate a lot of the pathways that we're learning. Um, but what we don't know yet is what the locus surrealis is doing. Is that just, again, reinforcing that one thing you learned and preventing it from being you know, from disconnecting mm. and becoming dots and make, uh, making it creative. It, there was no creativity part of that study. Oh, yeah, that stuff is so complicated. Yeah. So, um, so we still need to look at creativity and insight, whether mm. you, that those people 20% better on that one thing that they were learning, but they didn't test whether or not they could extract that and apply it to other situations. Um, but 20% better, you know, that goes, that's a C to an A, right? right. If you're talking about a test. Um, but you might also not be able to do the erasure parts that you need to do. You might yeah. be sacrificing other parts of other things that you learned 
the day before that, for example, mm. and that you need to schematize instead of learn via just rote. Man, I hope somebody does some research on that because <laughs> so my brain already starts worrying. So, all right, let's say that each day I was going to pick one thing and mm -hmm. I was going to study it for, let's say, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to replay the clock ticking mm -hmm. for five minutes mm -hmm. during my REM cycle, mm -hmm. which let's say is tied to my Fitbit or whatever. Right. And so yeah. I know when I'm actually in REM. Yeah. It triggers, but it only triggers for a brief period right. so that theoretically yeah. I can yeah. still do all the other things. Yeah. yeah, That would be really interesting. I would just do it, it that one night and just for five minutes. Mm. Yeah. Not, <laughs> I don't, don't do it night after night. Uh, you're going to screw everything up and yeah. saturate your brain with that one thing. Yeah, that mm -hmm. sounds about right. You end up getting some advantage in one area, but you end up sacrificing everything else because yeah. you are competing against evolution. Yeah. Evolution's had a lot of time to figure things out. <laughs> but we were talking about this right before we started rolling camera. Mm -hmm. There's a really interesting meme about here's what the Olympics looked like in 19, whatever, 1921. Right. Here's what they look like in 1921 yeah. or 2021. Uh -huh. And yeah. it it is hilarious mm -hmm. how much more advanced we are now. So. Yeah. Obviously, as you pointed out, it's not our biology. Our biology hasn't changed. Yeah. But the cultural element that stacks, mm -hmm. we've more belief because we've seen what's possible, yeah. better equipment, better training. Right. We know what our bodies can do. We can push it harder knowing that mm. we're not going to rupture anything. Or if we do, at least there'll be good physicians right. <laughs> on hand to help us heal. Yeah. yeah, man, it's so interesting. Learning learning really is a superpower and memory is the thing that I've struggled with most profoundly in my mm -hmm. life. So, and I'm always looking for things that can help with that. Yeah. Are there, you might hate this question, but are there drugs that help with memory? Yeah, there's even one called memantine. I mean, memantine, yeah, <laughs> for memory, right? Interesting. It's, How um, have I never heard of this? Yeah, it's that's got side effects. What's the on label use case? So I I believe it's for uh, dementia. So, okay. Um, yeah. And it works. Somewhat. Somewhat. Um, mm. Again, nobody studied these things in relation to sleep. So right. for, what it does is it boosts acetylcholine by blocking the receptors that reuptake it. Acetylcholine is really important for neuroplasticity. Isn't that what makes you feel tired? Uh, it's it's adrenaline. I mean, that's um, adenosine. Adenosine. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. all right. Acetylcholine, ACH is the. Yeah, way I'm we... trying to cram the, yeah, the things right. into the little bit that <laughs> I understand. Start with here. A, you're yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, so acetylcholine, you need it when you're attending to something. It's pumping great and giving us great rhythms for learning when we're exercising. Um, so walking and learning is a great thing to do, or hmm. running and learning is a great thing to do. It's also really present in our brains when we're in rapid you're more likely to remember something that you learned while walking or running yeah yeah or incorporate interesting it. yeah because of the neurochemistry yeah because of the rhythms mm. of our brain the rhythm mm -hmm. or the and the chemistry the chemistry sets up the rhythm so interesting <laughs> yeah wow i've never heard that before yeah i i have experienced that you can get insights while walking mm -hmm. which is very interesting yeah um, but I did not know that you're more likely to remember something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually sitting at our desk trying to learn something is probably not the best way to learn things. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there an evolutionary reason for that? Just that we would have always been moving? I, don't I know. think so. I think it's probably, that's hmm. probably what it is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know otherwise, but, um, 
But we can create, for example, cats watching a bird fly around has a ton of that acetylcholine. Actually, whenever we attend to something, acetylcholine gets ramped up in that area mm-hmm. of the brain that's we're using for that, for that purpose. So, and then again, during REM sleep, we have a ton of acetylcholine in those areas of the brain that are trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, during slow wave sleep, when we're cleaning our brains, acetylcholine is gone. It's completely gone. So, um, we need it to be absent when we're doing the cleaning process. Mm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to try to talk but through something. The side effects are... Oh, please, uh, yeah. yeah. Acetylcholine is what every single one of our muscles uses, our gut uses it, um, and it, and so a lot of acetylcholine will will screw us up, mm. screw up our guts, make us feel awful in lots of ways. So <laughs> does not sound like a good trade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything that makes me feel sick, like even mm-hmm. eating a meal too late, mm-hmm. which is actually something we didn't talk about when yeah. you talk about sleep hygiene. Yeah. For me... Even th- even stopping eating three hours before I go mm-hmm. to bed, I will feel the difference. So yeah. I stop eating seven hours before wow. I go to bed. Wow. Uh, and it feels awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I used to eat like literally chew, chew, swallow, uh-huh. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I stopped doing that, I was like, whoa, this really makes a mm. huge difference. That's great. And I remember when my wife, my wife had massive digestive mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. and she kept saying, you know, I really think it matters like how much before I go to sleep that I stop eating. Yeah. And I was like, why? It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> 100% definitely not it. She's like, no, I really, I really think it is. And I'm yeah. going to start stopping earlier and earlier. Yeah. And she settled on about three hours. And then when I started doing intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. just for other reasons, had nothing yeah. to do with, with how I was sleeping. I found that it improved my sleep. Yeah, that's which great. Which is very, very interesting. Yeah, it is. Actually, there was just a study out about um, what eating a high-protein meal will do. Um, it changes the way your gut, uh, what a, a hormone your gut secretes hmm. that then travels to your, that hormone travels to your brain and helps you sleep better. Protein. So, I've yeah. heard that carbohydrates help you sleep better, but yeah. I've never heard it about protein. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, research that needs to be Mm. done yet um this was in flies and mice um Mm. but and then baby mice uh and baby humans sleep better if their tummy is full so (laughs) but not adults not adults uh, well actually i'm trying to think of what studies have done with adults and being full and sleep but i know if you're working your digestive system that's not a good thing while you're sleeping but Mm. again i you know i think more studies need to be done to iron these things out why does it work in babies why is it different in adults we don't know Hmm. yeah it's very interesting. I'm. You can understand why babies would need food mm-hmm, in terms of, of just the rapid growth, yeah. especially no, because they've got tons of body fat. But mm-hmm. I would imagine they're not accessing the body fat, and they're eating a high it's, sugar diet yeah, for sure while they're breastfeeding. It's more readily available energy. Yeah, but sort of quick to go through the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there can't be enough studies on diet. It's, but it is a very difficult thing to do unless you can literally imprison people and only give them the yeah. food that you want them to eat because yeah. the compliance is so low. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. All right. There's a complex idea that I want to try to talk through. Mm-hmm. Um, nudge me if I go too far afield here. But when you were talking, you, you, made me realize that there are concepts that are pre-embedded in the brain 
And one of the things that I find really important, so I'm obsessed with what I was talking about earlier. The brain is a prediction engine. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, whatever cool thing you're trying to do with your life, you you really are trying to update your schema so that you better you get closer to ground truth and you're better able to to do only the things that are going to be effective. And as a species, what makes humans interesting, and you made sort of an oblique reference to this earlier, is that we we don't come pre-hardwired with everything. We don't adapt to a limb that we don't have. We are doing things based on the actual environment that we're in. We could have been born into a lot of environments, but we're actually in this one. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we're adapting to that. So, all right, humans are the most adaptive of all the animals, which is exactly how we've become the most dominant apex predator the world has ever seen. Uh, but at the same time, we're not blank slates. Yeah. So there are ideas that are embedded in the brain. And I can't remember what you were saying, but the note I took was right or false and true mm -hmm. are categories of things that are innate mm -hmm. and that our brain, when we sleep, is tagging things. This is true. This is false. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, whoa, that has real implications in terms of as we all social media mm -hmm. is sort of deranging this mm -hmm. where we're losing a hold of, and I don't mean it like in a political way, but if, if true and false are a category that the brain is looking for to tag something, yeah. this is effective part of the schema. This is ineffective part of the schema yeah. and adjust accordingly. Right. If you're, reinterpreting the world based on true and false, you better be right. <laughs> and so then it becomes a question of what are we using to tag things as true and false? Yeah. And this is where, as somebody who teaches entrepreneurship, I'm always trying to get people to understand if you don't have the right metric by which you judge mm -hmm. the success or failure of a test, mm -hmm. you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. How close am I with that like category thing that the brain is doing? Yeah, I think you're very close. I have a, a good friend, someone I used to work with, whose world schema was built by his parents and his community. And um, but then he went to business school and he learned all kinds of new things that weren't quite fitting with that schema. For example, um, you know, what was what he was told was good for him. He saw how the business world was just taking advantage of it and and using it to profit and um, and not necessarily working out for his best interests, uh, mm. but for the bottom line best interest of the business. And um, and then one day with one experience, he his whole schema changed, and he's no longer. He, he realized that all that schema was wrong. I mean, there was just huge holes in it. It didn't align anymore. And he saw how they could align. And, um, and then he realized that he couldn't just trust his parents anymore. He was an adult at that time and he couldn't just trust his community around him. There's a whole other world out there and forces at work that they didn't understand mm. and that he didn't understand until that moment. And so, he had to shift his whole worldview and then make a whole new schema. And um, so the way that we build the world is usually first we have to trust our parents, our caregivers. We have to trust and they, if they say something's important or something's scary, 
you know, we trust them because that's part of survival. Mm. But there comes a point when we should start, you know, weighing things for ourselves and based on our experience and based on our own thoughts and based on what we've learned so that we are, we are building a schema that makes sense to us. Mm. And like you say, you better be right. Um, but if we're wrong, we might be able to survive okay, but not optimally. It's really interesting. So as you were saying that, it made me realize, okay, you've got the categories of true false, mm -hmm. but the entire worldview mm -hmm. is going to influence Absolutely. the tagging oh, of yeah. true and false. Yeah, That's really interesting. So what are other categories that the brain comes pre-hardwired with? So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't give you your worldview, mm -hmm. but it does give you category of you can determine this is useful, this is not useful, right. or this is true, this is false. Have you thought about other categories that we come pre-hardwired with? Sure. Well, we're, we're pre-hardwired to learn who our parents are and to imprint on them so that we know who to trust and who to look for for comfort and for mm. food. And that is pre-hardwired. We have this area of our brain or several areas of our brain that are trained to look for the caregiver. And whether that caregiver is a good one or a bad one doesn't matter. We are hardwired to imprint on that person mm. and to, and to learn from them. Um, it can be really difficult when we're later, when we're older to say that parent or that caregiver that I imprinted on did a terrible job and I don't want to be that. And I don't want to marry that when I, you know, I select a partner. It can be really difficult to fight against when we learn something new about the world and, and get a bigger and a different worldview. That's wrong. I don't want somebody to abuse me. You know, I don't want to find a partner who's going to abuse me like I was abused when I was a child. And it's really hard because we've imprinted, you know, our brain and that critical period of imprinting has closed. Mm -hmm. So it's it becomes a really hard thing. It's not impossible. Absolutely, it is possible. Um, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of sleep. <laughs> what does that effort look like? How do you begin? Because childhood trauma mm -hmm. really freaks me out mm -hmm. because of how long it echoes through people's lives. Yeah. And it seems for most people... Mm -hmm. Either because they won't adhere to a treatment protocol, but mm -hmm. it seems um, intractable. Yeah, it's uh, is it intractable? We have plasticity, like you say. Mm -hmm. We are able to learn new things, but we need to be dedicated about it and surround ourselves, for example, by people who aren't going to abuse you anymore, and believe that that is the good thing. And um, we will always have that wiring that original imprint wiring, but we can form new synapses and, and make those synapses strong and stronger than the original ones were. But if what we does ever that process look like, it's actually synaptic remodeling. It's actually dendrites and axons. Repetition. Yeah. Repetition, repetition, surrounding ourselves again by this new world that we want uh, instead of the world that we had mm. and um, a dedication and attention to it every day and sleeping on it every night. And, um, it, it's, it's a long, slow process because during those critical periods, it happens quickly. It happens quickly because our brain said, okay, this is the time when we learn about mm. who our parents are and who, who, what a caregiver looks like. And, um, and so it, 
that and once that critical period is closed, and I call it critical period, there is a particular time of uh, of her What's life. What's the window? Well, with caregivers, if you were if we were chicks, baby chicks, um, it's at seventeen hours after eclosure, after ha- hatching. That's brief. And so yeah, um, so for a couple of hours after that, if you if you don't happen to encounter your mother until hour nineteen or twenty, it's okay. You'll still, but if you encounter something at seventeen hours, that's not your mother, like a something that's making a sound and moving away from you, you're going to imprint on that thing. Wow. So there's a there's a it's so it's a few hours I'm sorry for a few hours for um for a chick for humans of course it's going to be longer but we don't actually know what the exact critical period is yet mm. there's there's some studies that need to be done language learning is another thing that our brains are set to learn um if we are born deaf we will still learn language it won't be the oral language um we'll learn body language better. We'll learn to lip read. We'll learn sign language if it's given to us or the signs that the body language of our caregiver is giving us. So our brain is set to learn and there is a critical period to that too. If we are, for example, born into an English speaking family and we try at age 35 to learn Chinese and that's the first time, well, not the first time, but if during your critical language learning period in the first six months of life, if you never heard Chinese and all the sounds of it, and it was never directed toward you, and you were never told a story um, in that language, you won't have built, uh, saved the synaptic pathways that were open during that period of time. Interesting. To hear all the different six sounds. Six months. Yes. It's wow. that young, before we're even babbling, or just at the beginning hmm. of babbling, just listening to the sounds of these languages languages will change our brain and help us to preserve synapses that will allow us to always hear the sounds of that other language. Mm. So that later, when we try to actually pick it up ourselves, we'll still be able to hear it. Um, and those people that were never exposed to it will have pruned those synapses away. Mm. Okay, so really tight period for imprinting, for and language. language. Mm-hmm. Um what are what are some of the other phases? And mm-hmm. I will contextualize this. So mm-hmm. this really matters to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so impact theory, the reason this company is called impact theory mm-hmm. is my theory on how to impact people at scale mm-hmm. is through story. So mm-hmm. I try just telling people, think like this, act like this. Yeah. You can build your own company, do whatever you want. Yeah. 2% of people would take that advice and do something mm-hmm. with it. And it was extraordinary to witness. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, what about the 98% mm-hmm. that are doing exactly nothing with mm-hmm. this information? <laughs> And how do we reach them? Yeah. And that's when I really started getting obsessed with worldview. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to assume you know nothing about my story. So yeah. uh, my last company was in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So we were in the inner cities. Mm-hmm. So we had, I had big brothered for a kid that grew up in South Central yeah. as sort of a knock-on of going to USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I watched him get consumed by a zip code. Mm-hmm. Flash forward 15 years later, I now have a thousand employees that remind me of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, but I'm not a young kid anymore. Mm -hmm. I know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that the difference between the 2% and the 98%, the 2% had a growth mindset and they were willing to try things and deploy it. But I had one guy in the 2% get in a fist fight Mm -hmm. with his friends Mm -hmm. because they were like, you changed because you've started reading. Yeah. And I was like, you got in a fist fight because you read now? Mm -hmm. He's like, yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. like this does Mm -hmm. not make any sense. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to give up on adults Mm -hmm. and I'm going to focus on kids (laughs) and I'm going to catch them at what I think of as the age of imprinting, Mm -hmm. 11 to 15. Mm -hmm. You're not imprinting on your parents. You're Mm -hmm. now imprinting from culture. Mm -hmm. 
That I can influence. I can't influence yeah. who your parents are, yeah. but I can influence what your friends think is cool. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of impact theory is to tell stories, make video games, yeah. yada, yada, mm -hmm. that have actual, real, useful ideas at the core. So right. the way that we sum it up is if in one of our stories, a mentor gives the character advice, you as the viewer can take that advice because it's real. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know that that, Age of imprinting, the 11 to 15 yeah. rough swag is actually a moment where I can influence people yeah. because Disney takes a younger approach. Mm -hmm. And so they're going after like that six to 11, yeah. like really get mm -hmm. them young. It's just as a person, that's not a form of entertainment that I find as interesting. Right, yeah. So I'm really hopeful <laughs> that there's something still, you know, going on here. Yeah, and we are still learning um in terms of what's possible yeah our brains are definitely uh still developing at age oh, 11 to 15 not so, we as researchers yeah 11 well, to 15 we are still learning yeah yeah definitely and social learning is a big big thing at that time so it's great to surround yourself by people who um who like to read for example um at that age because even if you were came from a family which didn't do a lot of reading you can have that influence you because it's your peers and people mm. you respect and like and admire who are doing this behavior that you can then engage in. So absolutely is possible. The, um, the school system, the reason why preschool is actually a really good age is because again, that language learning, um, if you have someone reading to you when you're a baby and, you know, age one, two, three, looking at you, telling you you're a good person, that's a, that's also a really big critical period mm. for language learning, vocabulary learning. It's not the end, but it is a, a critical period. Do so. you know Jeffrey Canada? No. Oh, man, I want this guy on the show so bad. <laughs> so he's one of the early charter school mm -hmm. people. So grows up in Harlem, mm -hmm. says, I'm going to fix the education system gets a full ride scholarship to Harvard, mm -hmm. goes into education, spends, I think, a decade trying to fix it from the inside, mm -hmm. realizes never going to fix this mm -hmm. from the inside, starts these schools on the outside, mm -hmm. but largely based on a key insight, which is he asked, why do middle income kids do well and mm -hmm. lower income kids do poorly? And he realized it's the number of words you hear by the age yeah. of three yep. and the ratio of positive to negative. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. And he said, in a middle income household, you hear roughly, I think it's 5 million words and the ratio of positive to negative is 70% positive, 30% negative. Mm -hmm. In the inner cities, it's either 3 million or 2 million. I can't mm -hmm. remember, it was dramatically less. Yeah. And the ratio is flipped. Mm -hmm. It's 30% positive, 70% negative. Yeah. And he said, what that does to the language centers of your brain mm -hmm. is so startling. Yeah. And so he went on this crusade to get people who are about to become mothers. Mm -hmm. He didn't wait till they actually right. had kids. If you were about to become a mother, he's, he wanted you to start reading mm -hmm. to your baby in utero mm -hmm. and to keep Get reading to yeah. Yeah, once mm -hmm. they were born. And I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. that's one of those insights about the brain. That shit scares me. Mm, yeah, It scares <laughs> me. It, it has become not that age, but that idea has yeah. become the central mission of my life. Yeah. If you can intercept people at mm -hmm. the right time mm -hmm. with the right idea in the right format, yeah. you will change how their brain develops. Yeah, yeah. Exactly how they see the world. The entire schema at those early, early ages, we're forming our schema of the world, how the world works. It's um, 
it's really good to intervene early mm. <laughs> if you want someone not to be screwed up and to work better in this society. Yeah, no doubt. But it's incredible. I mean, this guy is probably one of the examples. There are lots of people who are surrounded by horrible situations as they grow up mm. and they're able to, you know, lock lock on to latch on to the one role model that's different and that's better um and they're able to not reproduce that same bad situation in their own life when they're adults and it's mm. a very inspiring story um but we actually really do even those people who say i did it all by myself there's always somebody or some influence somewhere that helped them for sure mm -hmm. for sure mm -hmm. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. All right, what do you, as you look at the research being done around sleep, mm -hmm. being done around the brain in general, where where do you think this goes? So you've already planted a flag on mitochondria, the mm -hmm. energy system. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love a good hypothesis. I completely mm -hmm. understand. You have no idea where this will all lead and you're super open to being yeah. wrong. As a scientist, I'm sure that just guides all of your thinking. Yeah. But what are what are some interesting areas that either you want to see studied or that you see some early yeah. research coming out that could be very meaningful? Yeah, well, there are lots of fields. Um, so uh, drug addiction, that's a powerful remodeler of the brain. That drugs, uh, drugs negatively do. and yeah. positively or only negatively? Well, it 
positive in terms of drug seeking behaviors, right? It <laughs> rewires the entire brain toward, uh, you know, toward, if you're a drug, hey, mm. yeah, you know. <laughs> Um, but but um, it's a powerful rewiring of of your brain mm -hmm. that I would like to see good ways to use sleep to um, rewire back to um, learn through sleep um, and the processes restore the processes that happen during sleep so that we can be open to relearning um, the good way again mm -hmm. and not to be so stressed. Um, so drug addiction is, is one area. PTSD is another, something I'm really passionate about. I've got some family members who have PTSD mm -hmm. and, um, lost a family member through PTSD. So, um, uh, so that's again, another way that stress powerfully remodels the brain for the worse. And, uh, I would like to figure out a way to make it so that sleep helps us be adaptive sleep helps us to adapt and do you uh, see a path because is it just oh we just need to you know read a good book play a calming video game meditate whatever and then yeah. you're gonna be fine or do you see like is ai gonna play a role some of the brain feedback that people are getting i think biofeedback is going to help um people how? are very unaware of their own stress levels for example and and how they're processing things mm. if we're able to tell them through a wearable that, hey, it looks like you are stressed right now. You should probably do some relaxation exercises before you go to bed. And then, um, yeah, you, there's also a really interesting study where they cued people to learn something before they went to sleep and then gave them the cue um, during the dream The ticking state. clock thing? Um, yeah, it was like a ticking clock. It was a little different. It was a tone they used mm. um, and and got people to dream about that thing. Um, that they were trying to new thing they were trying to incorporate into their old schema, and if they dreamed about it, um, especially, but actually everybody uh, were better able to incorporate that into their the scheme of who they are. Uh, again, I wouldn't overuse this; be careful. Mm -hmm. But um, so I think I think yeah, um, I don't know enough about AI, but. Probably, you know, there's a way, biofeedback at least, um, mm -hmm. to let people know what the state they're in because they're oftentimes pretty much too much in their head and don't really know what their body is doing and how it's reacting. So I'm going to follow up on something you just said. So yeah. based on um, something I've heard you talk about before, which is that if you understand the neuronal firing of a rat compared to where it's at in the maze, mm -hmm. you can actually effectively read its mind. Mm -hmm. And so knowing the, look, I'm not an expert on AI, but I'm mm -hmm. deep enough in it that I, I understand where this is headed, yeah. um, that AI really will be able to take inputs. If you put a device of sufficient fidelity on the brain and mm -hmm. let me read the brain patterns, the waves, the yeah. you know neurons that are firing, that yeah. we'll be able to start to reconstruct what you're thinking about. Mm. They've been able to get very rooted, like if they tell you to think about a person's face, mm -hmm it's pretty startling like mm. how i mean it's not like a portrait right. but like you start to get a sense of what they're thinking about right. um i have a feeling that we're going to get pretty good at interpreting brain signals you'll need better sensors but when you have a company like neuralink where mm. it's actually tapping into the brain mm. um combined with ai just recognizing pattern after pattern because what you'll do mm. is you'll read people let's say 
a million people as mm-hmm. wearables begin to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, okay, this person is doing this thing and we get this readout. Therefore, when I see this readout, you're doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to basically just reverse the, you know, the the direction that they're thinking about mm-hmm. it. And so that is, as I think about biofeedback and I think about AI and mm-hmm. I think about just the ability to collect all of this data that you'll be able to get somebody with a PTSD or whatever yeah. and say, okay, you're about to go to sleep. I'm going to visualize mm-hmm. where your brain is right now, mm-hmm. how you're feeling, and there's a target. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to start moving the, okay, this is a stress brain. Yeah. This is a calm brain. Yeah. And as you move it there, the screen lights up or it does something to yeah. reinforce. That's right. And people will be able to use that visualized biofeedback as yes. a way to control yeah. their emotional state, right. which is my fantasy. As somebody yeah. that struggled with anxiety, yeah. I was like, I really want a way to practice yes. calming myself down, yeah. which is how I found meditation, mm-hmm. which ended up being utterly transformational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I think exactly. Uh, that That is the goal. I think the, the promise of these wearables is that they are measuring peripheral measures of heart rate variability, for example, temperature, um, skin conductance, a lot of these things that are peripheral measures of what's going on with our autonomic nervous system, mm. that the thing that meditation is probably best at calming down. So, um, so I think there is real promise because people, again, are kind of famously bad at reading their own bodies. Mm. And so if you can give them a device that tells them, you know, there's a green window now, you're good, go to sleep. Mm. That would be amazing. Um, be very amazing. So mm-hmm. I, um, I am either just really dumb and when I work out, I'm just terrible mm-hmm. or I have a natural tendency towards muscular imbalances. Mm-hmm. I fear it's column A. <laughs> uh, and so I have many times ended up having like really chronic pain mm-hmm. from, um, it's often been in my traps or my scalenes where mm-hmm. I thought that I had a weakness in mm-hmm. my traps and, oh, I need to get my neck stronger or my traps stronger. But in reality, it was my middle back yeah. was weak. Yeah. And I went to see a physical therapist and he pointed it out and he's like, nope, the problem's actually in your middle back and you're not stabilizing yourself. And he was like, fire your middle back muscle. And I'm like, I'm firing it. He's like, no, you're not. And (laughs) I'm like, I promise you I am. And so he's like, okay, let me put biofeedback on you. Uh And he's like, make it beep. Uh And I'm like, okay, I'm firing it. And he's like, if it's not beeping, you're not firing the muscle. (laughs) And so learning to fire it was eye-opening at how different my body map of where that muscle was and where the muscle actually was. Mm -hmm. I felt, I used to joke with him, I feel like I'm firing my heels (laughs) to like get it that low in my back to to just reach my mid-back. But once I learned how to do it, my ability to, because it it, when I first started, it would beep at you. So when you fired it, beep, Mm -hmm. beep. And then by the time I was done, I could get it to go. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, wow. And so realizing that once you hear or don't hear, Mm -hmm. or in this case, see or don't see, you can make profound changes and you can fire things, in this Mm -hmm. case, a muscle that that truly felt out of my conscious Mm -hmm. control, Mm -hmm. but slowly, slowly you're able to do it. Yeah. If people could get a hold of their their autonomic nervous system, and I don't know how much they'll ultimately be able to get a hold of, but if you can get a hold of it, it's pretty profound. Are yeah. you familiar with tumult nope. meditation? Do you know Wim Hof? Nope. 
oh my gosh, you're going to love this. <laughs> so I can't believe he's real. Mm-hmm. I've met him. As far as I can tell, he's been studied by science. He can maintain a core body temperature mm-hmm. even in ice. Uh-huh. And so he set all kinds of world records mm-hmm. for swimming under ice. And oh, wow. he's his corneas froze and he went blind uh-huh. swimming under the ice. Thankfully, uh-huh. he was with a diver who was able to pull him back up. Yeah. But like water that cold, yeah. cold. Yeah. Uh, and so he went into a laboratory setting and they measured his internal core temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can do that. He can also take like a dime sized spot in his palm mm-hmm. and warm that up mm-hmm. when people ask him to. Wow. Uh, they injected him with an endotoxin mm-hmm. and he was able to um, muster a- an immune response. So everybody was like, okay, it's just you. You're a freak of nature. It's like, no, I can teach anybody mm-hmm. to do this. So he teaches people. So anyway, the, this concept of tumult meditation is that basically they can control their heart rate body temperature. So things that we would say are normally outside of like the reach. Like Houdini did, right? It's interesting. I didn't know Houdini did that. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yes, things like that, mm-hmm. that there have been sort of the rare people throughout mm-hmm. history that have been able to do. Mm-hmm. But if through wearables, AI, we can give people a better way of doing that, that's about as close to being a superhero as I can imagine I getting. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff is, um, I really hope that that ends up being a thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's very similar to that, that I've heard you talk about, I've always wanted to be able to do and I can't, Mm -hmm. is lucid dream. Mm -hmm. Is lucid dreaming real? Oh yeah, it's real. I don't know if it's real good. (laughs) (laughs) So for people that don't know what it is, what is it? So it's a way to realize that you're dreaming and control your dreams or introduce a new element to it or... um, through some studies, it says, okay, when you're in REM sleep, we're going to know. And we want you, when you hear this sound, to incorporate this thing into your dream. And when you've done it, tell us by moving your eyes in a particular pattern. So people, some people can do that. And they can do it about a third of the time um, of, of when they go into REM sleep. Not all the time, but mm. a third of the time. How does it not wake them up? The second I tell myself I'm dreaming, I wake up. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Do they train themselves? Uh, So there is some controversy. Are they awake? Is Mm. there a good portion of their brain that is actually awake and able to respond? If you're able to respond to the outside world, hear a a tone uh, or Mm. whatever, and and make control your body in a way. I mean, what? How does that differentiate from wakefulness? Mm. It might actually be wakefulness. I said paradoxical sleep, REM sleep is paradoxical because your brain looks like it's awake. Well. It looks like it's awake during right. lucid dreaming too. So how do you know someone's still asleep? You don't. Um, atonia is really the only way, which is when our muscles are actively inhibited so that we don't act out our dreams. Um, there's some indication that people who are lucid dreaming maintain that atonia. But atonia is something that could also be dissociated from sleep. People with cataplexy, you know, um, narcolepsy with cataplexy, they will fall down with atonia while being perfectly awake. So mm. it's um, it's controversial. Um, now, having said that, those dreams, people with do lucid dreaming, you know, are very vivid, and they're different from daydreams. They're, they're more active, they're more vivid, I guess is the way to say it. Mm. Um, so it, it might be this in-between different brain state that's not just regular REM sleep. 
And the reason why I don't know if it's real good is because nobody has been able to record from the locus cerullus, for example, or the dorsal raphe nucleus, which we know shut off during REM sleep. Do they shut off when someone's in lucid dreaming? They're awake, they're on whenever we're awake. So do they go on? Are, are we really, is this state a kind of hallucinogenic kind of state that's more like wakefulness and sleep? We don't know. Mm. I would caution people to be cautious with it. Don't try and do it all the time because, in fact, if it's really more waking than sleep and it's serving sort of a waking function and not the sleep function, then you're depriving yourself of real REM sleep when you're doing it. So, mm. um, and, and all the good things that come from real REM sleep. So, so I, I've, I've lucid dreams. I've been able to tell I'm in a dream and change it in some way. It's a great way to get rid of nightmares. Mm. Um, but I also just let myself have a real dream and wake up and remember just part of it instead of the whole thing. And because, and so one of the new, new bits of research that we're doing in the laboratory is being done by a graduate student named Raquel Guthrie and another graduate student named Ward, Ward Pettibone. And what they're doing is they are seeing in animals and in humans whether or not um, the whole brain sleeps at the same time and is in the sleep same, mm. same sleep state at the same time. There's lots of evidence that animals that sleep unihemispherically sleep unihemispherically. One hemisphere is awake while the other is asleep. People don't do that, but we might be able to sleep you know, one chunk of brain at a time. For example, our hippocampus, Raquel showed in humans, um, can be in a sleep very long minutes before our cortex goes to sleep. And so what is it doing? It's it's doing this other brainwave pattern and it's not remembering. And this is probably, although we haven't done the study yet in people, probably the f- reason why we don't remember what happened in the two minutes before we go to sleep. So, um, you know, you know, if you're reading a book and you're falling asleep over the book, you can read the same page four times. Over and over. Yeah, over, over and over, over again. I've done that many, <laughs> right. Many times. That's because your hippocampus, your memory, you know, immediate associative memory system is asleep. And so your cortex is, you're moving your eyes. Uh, this, the working memory is in your cortex, but it's not going into your long term memory. So, um, so does that same thing happen during REM sleep? Can your hippocampus be in REM sleep while your cortex is in slow wave sleep mm. or the opposite. And maybe lucid dreaming is this part thing where you can somewhat respond to the world around you um, because there are parts of your thalamus that's not closed. Um, can you remember dreams? People can remember their dreams and tell it to you vividly. Is it because their hippocampus is not asleep actually it's awake and writing those new memories in even though you know and those who can never remember their dreams the hippocampus is in REM sleep proper Mm -hmm. so we don't know the answers to these yet there aren't enough people with electrodes planted in their brain that we can ask what did you dream and how did Mm -hmm. you change your memories we can't ask these things of animals um so we can't say hey what did you dream about and we can see what their activity of their brain is and if it's not consistent with the world immediately around them but consistent with the world that they experienced the day before we can say hey it looks like that rat is running that maze Mm -hmm. we can't ask it you know were you dreaming about running the maze so it will actually replay the maze in its head yeah that's so interesting because dreams the ones that you remember Mm -hmm. i i can't tell you a time where i have ever had a dream that was like the thing I learned I am yeah, dreaming about. Right. It's it might be something I'm stressed about, but the dream is so surreal yeah. that it's like, is this about that? It's good. It's good that it's different. I think that's again that backing out from mm. the literal thing to the to the dots again. Um 
So it gives you a new way to interpret a new that way to thing. interpret. But the thing. rats are doing it literally. Well, they they do some of it literally, and some of it sometimes they make moves that they can't make hmm. in real life. And so this is something that Ward is looking into: how do we gain insights from from our dream state in rats? He's hmm. looking in rats. Um, do rats that have gained insight and shown you that they've gained insight by the performance? Did they did their dream sleep and non and non REM sleep? They look differently than rats that didn't learn anything. Mm. Do the rats, are there rats with PTSD? Do they just replay the literal thing that happened to them? And if they didn't get PTSD, are they replaying portions of that, but also, you know, incorporating in new an bits abstracted and, way? Yeah, new insights. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you put much stock in dream interpretation? I love dream interpretation just because I think that it tells us how it's it's kind of like interpreting a movie right it tells mm. us how we're thinking about things i don't think it's necessary i think most people don't remember their dreams well enough to yeah. but but the stories that we make up about our dreams reflect you know who we are and where we are and what we're thinking that's interesting uh, yeah have you ever had recurring dreams yeah what one, I'd love to hear mm -hmm. what they actually were. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your breakdown of why recurring dreams. Is it something yeah. that we're struggling with? Yeah, I think it is. I think on some, you know, my recurring dream when I was a child was a big monster was chasing me and my feet were like in mud. I couldn't run away from it. It was so stressful and so fearful, fear Sounds and generating. Horrible. Yeah, it was, it was awful. And um, I told my mother about it and probably because she was listening to the mind can keep you well. She said, okay, next time you have that dream, um, do something different than you've been doing every time this past time, uh, these past times. And I said, okay, what should I do? She said, oh, let's see, what can you do? Think about it. And I was like, oh, I could, I could go, I could, you know, stab the monster. I could hit it. And she's like, okay, try you know, let, let's rehearse that. So imagine that much. Imagine yourself turning around and stabbing or hitting it. And so I did that. And then the next time I had that nightmare, I was too afraid to actually turn around and stab it or hit it or touch it in any way. But I was able to at least say, no, stop. And I was able to do something different. It was just mm. something different and knocked me. I never had that recurring nightmare again. Mm. I've had other recurring dreams, like flying, for example. It's a great recurring dream. You know, it's a lot of fun. Or That's being cool. able to swim underwater. You know, what's the use of that? I'm never going to be able to fly. That's cool, though. Oh, but, man. Uh, you know, but maybe it has something else to do. Maybe that nightmare of the monster was about an in uncontrollable force in my life that mm. I didn't have, couldn't get away from. And so in my dream, the fact that I was able to do something against that force uh, may have allowed me to make a difference in my waking life too against that thing that I didn't even know was that was the thing that I was embodying in my dream. Mm. But I could could take some control over it, even if it was just saying no, so that maybe during my waking life I was able to say no to this adult that was doing something to me. Mm. And I don't I don't know. I don't remember back then, but but um, but it can be powerful. Our minds are extremely plastic when we're in the dream state of sleep, and so even though I think the interpretation of our dreams may say more about of our our waking selves, I think what happens during our dreams actually can change our minds mm. and can change the way we think about the world. Um, so again, flying dreams. I don't know. Maybe that's about power and about. Um, you know, feeling in control and able to do things that you couldn't otherwise do. Mm. And so maybe it's a reflection of a sense of 
elation that I had about learning new things, like about the brain. Um, mm. Yeah, it's really, really intriguing. Dreams are fascinating. Mm -hmm. I don't remember nearly enough of mine. <laughs> um, you probably remember just as much as you need to. It's <laughs> interesting. Maybe I used to remember more, mm -hmm. and because I find dreams so interesting, and because I'm such a yeah. student and fan of narrative, mm -hmm. it's I always love like yes. they, they would just be so impossibly <laughs> weird uh -huh. that I don't know. There was something fun in the way yeah. that time can change, or the way that things melt into something else, yeah. or the way that it's like oh, I'm talking to this Cocker Spaniel, but yeah. I know it's actually my mom. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> and it changes into your mom and then changes into your girlfriend and then yeah. it turns back to the Cocker Spaniel. It's like so, yeah. so it's, weird. It is wonderful. It's weird and wonderful. And yeah. I understand why you want to, you know, remember more of your dreams mm. because it's like a free movie that is just fun. Yeah, right? and um, that you are yeah. so wired into emotionally yeah. <laughs> that it's literally plugged into your central nervous yeah. system, yeah. which is everybody, anybody that's into like the metaverse and stuff, like mm -hmm. that's the fantasy, right? That mm -hmm. one day, like you'll be able to actually experience yeah. these just impossible scenarios, yeah. but actually experience yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and you do when you dream, yeah. but I so rarely remember mine now. And I've never known like, is it because I have a high stress life and that's why I don't remember them? Cause I, I used to have them a lot and I used to, well, I mean, I, yeah. do we dream every night? Yeah. No matter what. No matter what. Okay. Yeah. So I'm still dreaming clearly. Yeah. Uh, but I almost never remember them. It might be a really good sign that your sleep is super efficient, hmm. you know, and, uh, because again, we don't know, but it's quite possible that the dreams that you remember is because your hippocampus was actually awake maybe for the last half of the dream and, right. and able to sew that working memory, all that stuff into a long-term memory. And um, so that that could be fine occasionally, but if you're doing it all the time, right. your hippocampus is missing out on all the brain-clearing mm. things that you need to do. So it could be a very good sign. That I'd makes say. sense. You've talked about the thalamus mm -hmm. a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I've heard you say in previous interviews that every time you do new research, your sense of where the consciousness is seated changes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have, are we currently settled on the thalamus? Do no. we not know? What's the... No, no. Um, I think consciousness is an emergent process. And so there's no one area that controls mm. it. Is it a complexity thing? You stack enough neurons and you're eventually going to yeah, get to consciousness? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so I, I think a, a outstanding question still is, can an ant be conscious? Or mm. is it an ant colony that's conscious? Um, is it all of these individual players working together? Is, um, yeah, is a beehive conscious? How does, you know, we transfer information one bee to the next and, and you then, see them pulse? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hard to say that they're not yeah. connected pretty rapidly. Right. Yeah. And if you look at an individual neuron migrating to the spot it's going to go, you can say, well, that, that looks like a conscious being. It's making mm. decisions. It's putting out its philopodia here or there. And then it's saying, nah, not that one. I'm going to go up here and then I'm going to go over there. And it looks like you're watching a snail, you know, go to the food or something like that, mm. you know, or a place of safety. And then if you think of, you know, the billions of neurons you have in your brain as each independent, you know, entities, then, then you think of it a city as your brain is a city or a universe rather than an individual. I actually have a quote uh, yeah. that I wrote down of you saying oh, really? that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I find this really interesting. You said, and I quote, 
It's almost like your brain is filled with billions of individuals making decisions and talking to one another. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if our brain is a city or even a universe mm -hmm. full of communicating entities that do different tasks. Yeah. That's heavy. <laughs> and so how does that brain filled with independent entities direct our body to do anything, mm. to be sitting here talking to you today? It takes, I don't know if it's just majority rules or <laughs> what it is. Where's the will? We have no idea. But we do know will has a lot to do with things. For example, mm. the belief that you can change can make all the difference in the world between whether you do change. Uh, where does that belief come from? What is, what is it that believes? Mm. Uh, is it, is it the, the consciousness of all of these entities saying, you know what, we're just going to do it, you know, <laughs> and where there's no, there's no little man in our head saying, right. you know, this is what we're going to do now. This, this is what we are. We're made of all these billions of neurons. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's a trip to me. The it's interesting. I did not expect this theme to emerge in this conversation, but the I idea of uh the metronome of something that is conducting all of these incredibly complex things, but when you think about each neuron really fighting for its own survival, mm -hmm. looking for a connection, mm -hmm. um being self-directed in some way that I imagine we don't fully understand mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. It's really interesting that a self-emergence. Now, the one of the things that I find utterly fascinating about the brain is that if you cut the corpus callosum, mm. the thing that connects the two hemispheres, for yeah. those that don't know, uh, you'll get two personalities. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. And yeah, the, the, the studies are so revealing about what a, what a consciousness is. What right? do you take away from it? How do you interpret that data? Uh, well, you know, we do know there is lateralization to function, like our language for the most of us is in the left hemisphere and our spatial um, relations is in the right hemisphere. And, um, and the idea that these two areas, one can dominate the other and make it do what it wants mm. um, is really it's really interesting so this some of one of those um, unihemis or those corpus callosum studies a man was describing trying to dress himself in the morning and and you know button up his shirt and while his you know right hand was buttoning his left hand was unbuttoning so it's like these two That's consciousness so and it, does that mean that the left hemisphere just didn't know what the right hemisphere is doing just said hey why is my shirt you know why why is it coming together i want to go to bed is the right mm. hemisphere want to go to bed and the left hemisphere wants to go out into the world you know i don't i don't know um because the right hemisphere doesn't have the language when he talks about it he talks mm. about what what he was trying to button up his shirt. He says, I was trying to button my shirt. Um, if you were able to speak to his right hemisphere, would it say, oh yeah, that was silly. I was trying to go to bed, <laughs> right? Mm. It was interesting. One of the studies that I heard about, the one of the hemispheres was deeply religious mm. and the other was a pure atheist. <laughs> I was like, wow, man, in the same brain. Yeah. And so you begin to realize that this is a competition of perhaps rivals mm -hmm. going on in the brain, that mm -hmm. there is some mechanism, whether it's majority rule or mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. but something is happening and it happens so fast mm -hmm. that you're unaware of it. Yeah. 
And I feel like a stable me.、Mm-hmm. I feel a sense of I, I have a self. And、yeah. like, this is one thing I've often thought about with alcohol、mm-hmm. is, and look, I've never been blind drunk the way、mm-hmm. a lot of people have,、yeah. but I've never not felt like me.、Yeah. I've always felt, I call this my Overwatch mechanism.、Mm-hmm. I've always felt like there's a me version above, like,、mm-hmm. I feel the silly impulses、mm-hmm. the way that everybody else does, but I feel like I've got a guy sort of riding above it all. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. And yeah. so that idea, knowing that it's actually super false,、mm-hmm. and my brain is <laughs> billions of these somehow cooperating things that come to some kind of consensus、right. yeah. and can move me forward and, Cause me to react to so, like, if I see a, a hose out of the corner of my eye and I think it's a snake, I'll、yeah. jump back like、yeah. so fast. Yeah. Or pulling your hand back from something that's hot、yeah. before you have any sort of conscious awareness. Yeah. So weird. It is. Humans are a trip. I think it's incredible. Everything that you said, also, it's incredible that we wake up still me、yeah. in the morning, considering how much is going on in our brains, how different our brains are when we fall asleep, how much plasticity happens with REM sleep.、Mm. How do we wake up still knowing who we are and feeling like we're the same person? Yeah.、Um, Especially when I reco- think about. Yeah. How do we recognize a childhood friend? It's like, oh, yeah, you're the same. How do we say you're the same? It's been 30 years since we saw them,、yeah. 40 years. And. How do we know that? Maybe they aren't. Maybe you both have changed together and that's why you recognize them. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. What were you going to、no, say? No, just it, <laughs> that you have a sense, every cell in your body is turning over,、mm-hmm. but there is a sense of you that does stay the same. Yeah. I've thought about、that's、this、incredible. with skin. Like if you get a sunspot or、yeah. a liver spot or whatever they're、yeah. called, every cell in your body is turning over, but somehow that stays. Yeah. So, like, scars stay, yeah. Scars, I yeah. sort of get. Do、mm-hmm. the cells turn over in a scar? I guess they must, right? That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I just recently learned from Aaron Schumann, who's in Germany, that the rate at which proteins turn over in our brains. So, you know, every seven days, whoa, <laughs> you know, our, our neurons are different because our, every protein is turned over. So, Um, That's startling. Yeah, it is. Wow. And I'd heard it was every seven years, which is still incredible, right? But, and so there must be something that's slower than protein turnover that、yeah. takes longer. But, you know, that's、amazing. really interesting.、Mm-hmm. That must have implications in terms of neurodegenerative disease. Like, if you could halt whatever is breaking down、yeah. and make sure that the next round is healthy.、Mm-hmm. That's actually really encouraging from、mm. like a stem cell standpoint. If things are turning over that fast,、yes. obviously I have no idea if that's going to end up being productive or not,、yeah. but oh, very well could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Gina, this is utterly fascinating. Is Where can、good. people follow you? I have,、um, I have my own lab website. I don't update it as often as I should. So instead, if you want to go to the department at UCLA, it's the integrative biology and physiology or just ibp.ucla.edu.、Um, I will make sure that my lab website is tied to that and is, and is linked, but our, my department's full of really great people doing super fascinating research. And so I, and all UCLA is, I'm also part of the Brain Research Institute, bri.ucla.edu, but Either way, IBP is, is fine. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. <laughs> Peace.